the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, it's a ding-dong dandy Tuesday afternoon. Say that ten times quickly. A ding-dong dandy Tuesday afternoon, five minutes after... The hour of 5 p.m. on your Tuesday ride or commute or walk, <laughs> sachet as it may be, to wherever in uh, in the new world here. And uh, once again, Craig Roberts welcoming you to another edition of Lifeline. We're here each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. addressing issues that impact your life and your world. We'll do more of the same here on the Tuesday edition. Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by Brad Dacus of the Pacific Justice Institute. Fill you in on a fascinating lawsuit that is unfolding in the Pacific Northwest there between Planned Parenthood and a church. And you would think, what would one have to do with the other that they would be suing? Well, we'll get to details on that. It's a fascinating case, and we'll discuss that when Brad joins us later on tonight. Also, Brian Johnston with the National Right to Life Committee will be dropping by for a visit. A proposal, really, to address the issue here in California of the fact that we taxpayers are now paying for abortions throughout all nine months of pregnancy. There's no, no holds uh, whatsoever. It's all sort of, uh, you know, Wild West when it comes to this topic. And um, they've come up with an idea that might help to at least begin to focus some serious attention on this issue. And we'll get to details on that when Brian joins us later on in the program. Well, as you know, many Bay Area communities a week from yesterday, that would be the 17th upcoming, is supposed to be the resumption of the school year and uh, classes for 2021 were supposed to be back in session. I say supposed to be because um, all but one of the nine Bay Area counties are on the state watch list. That means no public gatherings, no indoor eatings at restaurants, no going to the barber to get your hair cut, no going to the gym to get any exercise, no gathering of groups Inside, no gathering of groups larger than 10. Outside, on and on the list goes. And many parents are frustrated, and rightfully, <coughs> perhaps so, because it's difficult to know how to how to schedule, how to plan. I mean, normally this time of the year, it's time for the kids to go back to school, mom and dad then go on vacation or back to some semblance of normalcy, and life goes on. But we didn't plan for a pandemic. Now that one is here, How do we go about addressing the resumption of the school year when the school year doesn't resume? And, of course, there's a great sense of frustration that the government isn't doing enough or isn't doing what it should have. And many parents, of course, look at this and say, you know, 
the schools. We pay for them. They're responsible for our child's education. They should be doing a better job. And while I certainly don't disagree with you on the topic of the need for public schools to do a better job, is it ultimately the public school system's responsibility to educate your child? We talk about this issue of primary responsibility for a child's education. I guess it could fall in three potential arenas with the government, as I've suggested, with the church, or with parents. Let's get a look now at some of these insights that maybe perhaps lend you a sense of, of not only balance to this topic, but maybe a little bit of relief in terms of your own personal sense of responsibility when it comes to caring for your child's education, is we are joined by Sam Rohrer, Pastor Sam Rohrer, president of the American Pastors Network. He also writes and produces the nationally syndicated Stand in the Gap radio program and uh, spent quite a number of years in public service as well in the great state of Pennsylvania. And Pastor Rohrer, it's always great to have you with us. Uh, Craig, it's great to be with you today as well. You know, we all we all tend to kind of live life compartmentalized. There's what I do and who I am when I'm at home, what I do, who I am when I'm at work, and we kind of, in these neat little categories or, or um, um, nooks, we like to place different aspects of our life. And historically, certainly in the 20th and 21st century, uh, it largely there's kind of been this general sense that, well, America, we have public education here, we pay for it through our tax dollars, and aside from a handful of parents who choose to either privately or homeschool their children. Most send their kids off to the public schools, and they kind of see the public schools as the ones primarily responsible for a child's education. But I have to wonder, historically, in the grander scheme of things, and most importantly, Pastor Rohrer, from a biblical perspective, who really, ultimately, has to take the final sort of buck stops here responsibility for educating our children? Uh, well, Craig, that's a great question, and uh, thankfully, uh, the Word of God answers it very clearly. Uh, education, biblically, falls not in the purview of government. It only falls secondarily in the purview of the Church when it came on. It falls, though, squarely in the lap of parents. And where do we get that? Well, we get that from all the way through the Old Testament, but the model is with uh, Israel. Uh, God told uh, the fathers, and very specifically, he said to the fathers, now in, in Deuteronomy 8 and other passages, um, when you get up in the morning, talk to your children. Tell them what God has done. You share with them the precepts, the commandments of God's Word. Um, when you work during the day, you are commenting during the day about what God has done, the commands that He has given the blessings that he has promised, the judgments that he has also warned about if we don't walk with him. And then it says, through the day and when you lie down at night. So effectively, it's a full-time job. It's regular impartation of instruction and, first of all, knowledge and the fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom, after all. Uh, that is what a parent should do, and it's interesting. Uh, we don't think about it too much in these days, but... God's command to fathers, and that's why I say when parents are listening, it is mom and dad's responsibility, absolutely, but the primary driver, as given by God, the responsibility is the father. That's pretty tough when you have a lot of homes where there's no fathers in them, uh, that kind of thing. But it doesn't change God's uh, order. So it's fathers, 
And then this is the thing I think that's very key. Um, a father and a mother's job when it comes to training their children, raising them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, doesn't stop with their children. Deuteronomy in particular says, you teach it to your children and to your children's children. That's very interesting because that's a generational obligation. And uh, so reality, for those who are listening, if you're a grandma and granddad, you really do have responsibility when it comes to the training of your children in the ways of God that goes to your grandchildren. And that was God's guarantee that when, when truth and values were imparted to the children, and then they saw them carried out in the lives of their grandchildren generationally, then you knew that that next generation would walk with God. But if it stopped with the kids and it did not communicate to the grandchildren, then that's why in Israel's day there arose another generation who knew not the God of heaven, and then everything turned upside down. So education by God to parents raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, a daily, all-the-way continual impartation of values, driven by the Father, but not just to the kids, but with an obligation that looks to the grandchildren. That's a whole different view of education than what we share generally in America. And certainly historically, as I say, in 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 uh, you know the, the recent century, largely this has been the idea. Again, there are some exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, we've kind of seen this clear line of demarcation that we pay our taxes, schools educate our children. I go to work as the father, I bring home the bacon, mom runs the household, the kids go to school. The current pandemic has laid bare a lot of failures and shortcomings, Pastor, within our country today. Uh, issues related to everything from public policy to health care to immigration. I mean, a lot of this is, is tied in. And, and failure at so many points uh, has become staggering. But, you know, the, the old adage that uh, behind every cloud there's that silver lining, or maybe better put, from a scriptural perspective, that what the enemy intended for evil, God he can use for good and for his glory. That perhaps the realization here that we have been too cavalier, too nonchalant about sending kids off to school and expecting that somehow in school kids will not only learn and read, learn and, and acquire the, the skills related to the, the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also, too, necessary lessons related to life and, and maybe even what it means to be a person of values. And on those secondary points, life and values, uh, expecting a government public school system to impart biblically-based values pretty darn impractical, if not completely disconnected from reality. So maybe perhaps this this pandemic that's shifting responsibilities in some ways, as kids are at home and learning again virtually, and parents are having to get more and more involved in the process, not only in the process, but learning too what the content is of what the kids are learning, that maybe, just maybe, the silver lining of this whole horrific experience we're all going through can be the sense of parents getting deeper involved in their child's education and understanding that, you know what, there are certain things public schools cannot impart. Uh, uh, Craig, I think you're totally correct. You know, in these COVID months, um, estimated about 50 million uh, children were 
at home for a part of the time. That made parents not necessarily homeschoolers, but that made them engage in schooling at home. (laughs) And for most of those parents, it was the first time. And what we have been hearing um, from all across the country is that parents really have gotten a real education. Now, their children got a different education, but the parents have gotten a real education from this perspective. In many cases, and most of these from public schools, as we're talking about, they, when they began to have to oversee their children, they really were shocked at the level of what their kids did not know from an academic instruction level, what they didn't know. And then in other cases, they have been shocked beyond measure at what, in fact, their children were being taught from an immoral perspective and otherwise. That is causing, right now, today, the interest uh, in homeschooling, true homeschooling, not just schooling at home, but homeschooling, it has skyrocketed. Parents are saying, for many, for the first time, well, you know what? I haven't spent so much time with my children since they were born. And frankly, I like it. In other cases, who many thought, well, I could never take the challenge of uh, schooling my children at home. I'm not trained. I don't have the ability. I don't know how to do it. Scary thought. They really come to think, well, you know what? Maybe I can. And when they see what they have learned or not learned, particularly, they're saying, maybe I had better get involved. And the interest is high. I think in the next month, during this month of August, uh, is generally the time when home schoolers in particular uh, really make the final decisions of what they're going to do. Um, we don't know yet what that's actually going to do, but if the interest level at this point would be in any indicator, it would appear that perhaps homeschooling in America will more than, uh, um, more than probably triple than what it is right now. That would be a very, very significant thing since most homeschooling utilizes a Christian curriculum. Uh, BJU Press uh, out of uh, Greenville is probably one of the biggest. They're seeing a tremendous interest from homeschoolers all across the country. And uh, that, I say, is a good thing if parents were forced into it, said, you know what, maybe I'd really better take this seriously. If that were to happen, Craig, that is a good thing. And particularly if they understand that it's got to be Christian education that makes the difference, not the education that is godless and immoral and globalist and politically correct that gets that they get in the government school system. You know, one other thing. Back at the beginning of the country, here I'm in Pennsylvania, William Penn, this is a state that was based on religious freedom. At the very beginning in this state, Public education wasn't the, wasn't the normal, and it frankly, wasn't it, it wasn't the normal for our original colonies. People schooled their children at home. Public schools didn't come into being except for the need to uh, educate the children who maybe didn't have parents or didn't have some other means by which they could. It was to treat the exception. But oftentimes, like we found out, when government gets involved in something they soon take over it. And that's what happened with education, but it was never that way from the beginning in this country, and it's certainly not that way from God's model, scripturally. 
Well, and as we're learning, and we're going to take a time out and come back to more of the conversation, as we're learning, there's been this paradigm shift out of necessity because of the pandemic. And I think, as you're suggesting, Pastor, more and more parents are moving, making the shift in their thinking from, I, I can't possibly do this, to potentially, I can't possibly not do this. Because what they have discovered about what their children are learning or not learning and, and how that values vacuum can have a very negative impact on not just educational outcomes, but when it comes to our kids making the right decisions for a lifetime, um, quite frankly, lifetime outcomes. Pastor Sam Rohr with us today, president of the American Pastors Network. We'll take this time out, get you updated on some traffic right now as we swing over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. 25 minutes after the hour of 5 o'clock. Pastor Sam Rohrer, president of the American Pastors Network, with us today. And we're, we're talking about some of the painful lessons being learned in the wake of COVID-19. And that if we take advantage of these lessons learned, there could be some very positive outcomes to what otherwise has been a horrific collective experience for Americans. And, and certainly bringing back full circle Pastor Rohr, our conversation just before the break, the notion that parents need to be engaged fully in their child's education. This is not something that has come out of the pandemic like a new revelation. It's always been there. Sadly, what's happening is the parents are being forced to be up close and personal with not only their kids on a more consistent basis, but the content of what the child is being exposed to, what's in the history lessons and the civic lessons and so forth, um, in their school to suddenly realize, hey, wait a minute, I had no idea this is what's going on. And so I guess in, in, in a grander sense, while parents would see this as a massive sacrifice, as much as we've already had to go through significant adjustments and sacrifice since much of the country shut down in late March of last year, I would say maybe this could serve as a good springboard for parents to look at being more heavily involved in the child's education, whether it's through making the financial sacrifice to send them to a private or parochial Christian school, or maybe even better still, homeschool them, that now they've got a little practice, maybe now is an opportunity to kind of keep the momentum going. Well, well, I think that that's exactly correct, and that's what we are hoping and encouraging and praying about and encouraging people to, to do just that. Uh, I mean, a lot of folks, I mean, I was a homeschooler. I homeschooled our children, my wife and I did, for 25 years, all six of our children. So we've been through that. When we started, no one did it. It was a very uh, small number. But, boy, what a decision it was. It was the best decision that we made. But parents always go through that. Can I? Should I? What do people think? Or, you know, we say, can you not afford to? Who cares what people think? I care what God says. And you have to walk that through. But now, in these days, there is so much help uh, available. Uh, people can call the Homeschool Legal Association, HSLDA, talk to them. Like I said, BJU Press, the biggest producer of uh, homeschool Christian curriculum, they can contact them. Tremendous information now that, uh, that produces uh, some of the most excellent assistance for parents. 
uh, in the tre- in the teaching of their children, it is very much different than what it was years ago. So it can be done, but it's really a commitment that parents need to make, and they need to think and stand and say, before God, if I believe I'm responsible for my children, and they are, then do what is right, and the help is out there to be done, and help it to be done. We're trying to encourage pa- uh, pastors as well. Here are all the COVID things we're having. All right, it's disturbing not just schooling, but churching and how we worship. We're telling pastors, what a time to be teaching your people about how to walk with God, trust in God, and, and, and this ought to be, we're saying, from the pulpits, pastors, encourage your parents to do, to educate their children biblically at home, because so much has now come forth where we see a, a culture of deception, a culture of lies. We see what Marxism is doing in and through our schools, all of these things that are coming in. What a time for pastors and parents together to say, you know what, God had to smack us around the head a little bit to wake us up, but let's purpose we're not going to go back to sleep again. If that happens, Craig, then, in fact, great things can come out of this uh, time of uh, great discomfort, and that's what we're hoping and praying exactly happens. If we look singularly, Pastor Rohrer, at the loss of life and the suffering and the separation of families and all that, then this can only be defined singularly as a horrific tragedy and nothing more. But if we look at some of the potential upside, the lessons that can be learned from all of this, that doesn't negate the loss, that doesn't negate the tragedy, doesn't reduce the pain of that by one iota, but what it does do is gives, a, a, gives us, affords us a springboard to, to build a better future, not only for ourselves as, as a society and as a nation, but most importantly for our kids, to be able to really give them something in, in terms of an inheritance of a nation that that they can happily accept from us as opposed to running in the opposite direction and saying, no, no, uh, this generation of adults has made such a mess with it, I'm just going to run in the opposite direction. And I and I think ultimately, as, as you've just hinted on, you know, we, we we've seen impacts on everything from the way the government interfaces with its citizens to uh, impacts on constitutional rights and things of that sort. And some people look at this and say, oh, the persecution, having no clue what real persecution is like if you put it into context of the kind of suffering that Christians go through for their faith in places like Saudi Arabia or communist China. And so if we can take this as an opportunity to learn from this, and to really, really protect as we can uh, the value of this constitutional republic that has been entrusted to us. Uh, there's still time to do that. There's still time to make some significant changes before it's too late. There is indeed, but I must insist the time is running short. The yeah. battle is engaged. The enemy is inside the city, Craig. And, uh, and God's people, those of us who have a fear of God and know who he is, we need to be, regardless of who and what we've been doing, we ought to be on our knees in repentance, humbly seeking the face of God, and committing in our lives and our hearts obedience to the Word of God in every regard. And certainly that starts with the personal lives, and as parents, it goes to our children. That's our first responsibility that God gives us. We cannot fail there. And as pastors in the pulpit, I urge all of them that are, that are there and listening now, don't lose 
these moments to instruct your people in discipleship, in holy living, and how to be salt and light in such critical times. Now is the time for all of those who know the Lord to stand, live like it, speak like it, and live it out. Today is that day. You know, and for so long there used to be arguments and discussions uh, surrounding eschatology and timing and uh, questions about, well, when do you think the beginning of the end times will be here? When will the proverbial clock start ticking? Well, I'm here to tell you today, it's ticking right now. It's not, it's not a question of when it starts, it's already started. So uh, the manner in which you use this valuable time as the sands and the hourglass, so to speak, are, are quickly spilling out. Um, I think we'll be judged for. So let's be found as to be uh, saints that have been uh, worthy of our calling and, uh, most importantly, uh, trusting of the Word and living out that Word. Pastor Sam Rohrer, president of the American Pastors Network. As always, Sam, we appreciate your time and insights. 533 from KFAX. That's means time for a look at traffic for you right here. And we get you that update from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Mentioned earlier about a very puzzling lawsuit out of Washington State involving Planned Parenthood of Greater Washington and North Idaho. Uh, that organization is suing a group of pro-life folks who lead frequent church services outside of Planned Parenthood's Spokane Clinic alleging that the gatherings have interfered with treatments and intimidated patients and staff. Attorneys filed a lawsuit Tuesday in Spokane County Superior Court against the group calling itself the Church at Planned Parenthood. We get more from Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. So wait a minute, wait a minute here, Brad. There, so a Planned Parenthood office is suing a church because they're holding church services? What? Well, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, these church services are, are, are a number of churches working together uh, to hold the church services out there. And uh, it's interesting because they're very orderly, uh, the, the churches. Uh, they are uh, they're working together. They're, they don't block uh, people coming and going on the sidewalk. They're in this grass area uh, right uh so the sidewalk is in between them and the Planned Parenthood. So what they're doing is it's it's a protected area. Um, they're they're abiding by the law. The church is, but they are singing, they're worshiping, they're hearing a sermon, they're having a church service out there. And uh, to to paraphrase what one pastor says, um, we're worshiping the Lord uh, before the gates of hell. And <laughs> I think that's pretty true when we understand exactly the, the dark, sinister plot, uh, intentions and, and actions of Planned Parenthood. So it's, uh, it's very positive, very loving, uh, and yet they're being persecuted uh, and being sued, and we at Pacific Justice Institute are defending them. 
Well, we're here in the middle of a pandemic, and of course, they they don't want to have large uh, indoor gatherings, and, and it's been recommended that if you're going to have church, have church outside, so that's fully appropriate. Uh, they're on public property, or at least not on private property related to the Planned Parenthood Center, so it's a lawful gathering. And if you look in comparison to some of the other gatherings uh, a wink wink that have been taking place in cities like Seattle and Portland. I mean, it, it would seem to me you'd almost want to welcome these people. They're quiet, they're peaceful, they're they're having a lawful gathering, they're not there uh, creating chaos of any sort. So what's the problem that Planned Parenthood has with all of this? Well, it's it's spiritual, I believe, Craig, the bottom line, and financial. They, uh, Planned Parenthood doesn't want to lose any of their business. Uh, they don't want any mothers to be, you know, who are, who are confused and, and uncertain what to do. Uh, they don't want any of them to change their mind about having an abortion. Uh, and they know that when these people are out there they, with the love of Jesus and they're singing to the Lord and they're worshiping and they're hearing a, a solid message of hope and love and, and, and faith and from the Word of God, that, uh, that they're, gonna, they're probably going to lose business. It means that fewer babies are going to be able to abort fewer body parts are going to be able to sell on the side as well. Uh, and then to them, it's always been about, it's always been about money. That's, that's 86% of Planned Parenthood's uh, revenue. Uh, you know, this, this separate and apart from the government, um, 86% of their revenue comes directly from doing abortions. So uh, this, their presence out there, I think they're concerned, bottom line, they're going to lose, they're going to lose money, and uh, it is a spiritual warfare, and I think that's also part of the dimension as well. Well, so at the end of the day, this is simply them griping about it being, quote-unquote, bad for business. And yet, as you indicate, uh, they are not blocking egress or ingress, which would be dangerous and illegal. I mean, you can't do that to any public place for obvious reasons. That People have a right to traverse and enter and exit buildings and, and certainly be able to leave in case of a fire or some other sort of emergency. Um, I find it interesting that they refer to the problem here being, and I'm quoting here, uh, that uh, um, patients who rely on Planned Parenthood for vital medical care, uh, close unquote, um, are, are essentially... Um, having difficulties because, and I'm quoting once again Planned Parenthood, that the group, quote, causes immense stress to patients and harm to the productivity of employees who park their cars in different locations or use different entrances to avoid being greeted by church participants, close quote. So, boy, you got a real serious situation going on there. I think we need to call out the the, the, the troops in the National Guard. <laughs> yeah, it. It's you know this group is it's a loving group of Christians. Um, you just you know I've seen pictures taken and you can just see the love of Christ on them. And uh, they're not out to bully anyone. They're not going to threaten anyone. They're not going to take out knives or guns and shoot anyone. Uh, this is a group that actually is a true in the truest sense in terms of uh, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, whatever. Um, they're about saving human lives and and preventing. Uh, babies, um, you know, from 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 being killed and from women from being taken advantage of and deceived, as Planned Parenthood is so famous for doing. So, it's it, they're exemplary uh, in how they're carrying themselves. These churches working together, and uh, I think that it's just a, it is a privilege for us at Pacific Justice Institute, uh, through our Washington State office, to be uh, representing them and, and defending uh, them uh, in this lawsuit that's been filed against them. Their free speech rights. 
are hanging in the balance, and we're going to work hard to make sure that they're protected uh, to be able to continue their work and, and calling by God to, to minister in love um, to a world and to people in particular there who, who definitely, definitely need it. Yeah, and, and, and when seemingly in some of these communities uh, they can look the other way to people dropping, you know, Molotov cocktails on, on courthouses, blocking the sidewalks, and, and otherwise creating mayhem, and, I'm, and I want to be clear for listeners, I am distinguishing between those who act out in riotous, violent fashion versus peaceful protesters. Those are two entirely different groups. But to the yeah. riotous, violent let's burn down the building, let's destroy public and private property group. I find it interesting that some of these communities uh, have nothing to say about that, but will run headlong into making sure that a church doesn't sing worship songs out in the public near a Planned Parenthood. Wow. An amazing story, and we appreciate Brad Dacus with the Pacific Justice Institute for updating us on that. Um, any seminar, any workshop coming up uh, this week related to COVID-19? Yeah, uh, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. And we've got a lot of important updates and some real uh, information that's really going to empower both churches and private schools uh, and, as, as things are, are changing and developing. But it's uh, next Thursday at 2 p.m., and they can register on our website uh, for that, the first of next week when uh, we're going to be posting that. But next, not this Thursday, next Thursday, 2 p.m. Pacific time. And I think I also, not to confuse listeners, or myself for that matter, but I think I also uh, saw something come through uh, the email counselor in relationship to some information that Pacific Justice Institute is going to make available to parents as we head into school, kind of sort of maybe wanting to open up again, and some of the information that kids are being exposed to vis-a-vis um, sex education. Is that accurate? Oh, yes. Uh, it's a film. It's actually a professionally produced film that we've spent over a year plus working on, and it's Sex Education Curriculum, S-E-X-X-X, uh, curriculum, uh, Education Curriculum, is the title, and it's only for adults, mature audiences. It's very explicit in terms of what our children are going to be exposed to, but every parent with a child going to any kind of a public school, government school, anywhere in the United States should watch it because this is, we're going to be attacking the curriculum that's being not just all throughout California, but also in 17 other major cities outside of California, including Fort Worth, Texas. Very, very important. It's going to debut on August 21st, and parents uh, and others can can. Uh, register ahead of time on our website, uh, pji.org. All right, we need to be talking about that uh, pretty seriously here as we just had a discussion with Pastor Sam Rohrer of the um, the uh, pastor's group talking about the very issue of public education as schools start back up again. Parents have had a education themselves since the beginning of this uh, closed down pandemic back in March in beginning to see exactly what their kids are being exposed to by government schools on a routine basis. And to be sure, it varies from community to community, certainly state to state. We've got some of the worst. So uh, we'd be mindful to register for that. Again, complete details available on the website, pji.org. Think Pacific Justice Institute, pji.org. And our thanks to constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, for that update. 
All right, speaking of updates, we got an update for you on traffic right now. 548 and the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. As you know, we continue to uh, sort of peel back this onion of um, some of the differences in laws between the state of California and other states in relationship to the abortion question. And, of course, we've seen um, some interesting cases before the Supreme Court in uh, recent weeks as well, just before the conclusion of the uh, the current court session. Um, I want to get a little deeper into this in relationship to California as we're joined by Brian Johnston. He is, of course, the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters, heard every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. Brian, we know that it's a truism that right now in California, and particularly with the stranglehold that liberal liberal Democrats have on Sacramento, that California taxpayers pay for the taking of unborn lives throughout all nine months of pregnancy. And, of course, that doesn't require any sense of uh, medical justification whatsoever. You can do it because you feel like it. You can do it for sex selection, whatever. There is a proposal going about uh, a proposal for what is called the Unborn Sanctuary Resolution. Tell us more about this and how it can help perhaps begin to make a difference in a state like California. Craig, it has incredible significance because we've been told by the media, look, Supreme Court has spoken, shut up. We have been told, look, the governor is the governor, he's in charge, the legislature has already spoken, you're not going to have any good bills passed or even debated because they have that supermajority. But this is a significant statement now because in Texas, but also now in California, there is an effort by local individuals. We've talked about that before. In reality, all politics is local. And we have cities that are stepping up and saying, wait a second, we're in California, but we do not have to abide by what's being superimposed on us. This is intolerable. We do not concur. And specifically, when it comes to our governor, you know, we've mentioned this before, Craig, California has the Unborn Protection Act. That is to say, if a child is born alive in the act of an abortion, the law says you need to protect that baby now. You were trying to kill the baby, but if that baby, because you can do late-term abortions here, if the baby's born alive, you need to protect it. That's on the books. Our governor refuses, refuses to enforce it. And that's where we as citizens, we can have a voice. So what the Unborn Sanctuary Resolution is, is a resolution taken up by city council saying, we here in our city, and right now there's two cities that are going to be uh, uh, examining and voting on this, uh, coming up here in Orange County, that's the city of Mission Viejo, and also the city of uh, Lake Forest. And I spoke with the, with the mayor last night, Every member of that committee, every member of that city council finds this intolerable. And what they say is, look, we have fire stations where if a baby's about to be thrown in the trash, if there's a preemie 
and that mother's going to throw the baby away, which is what you do in abortion. And what our governor now says you should do if the baby's born alive. We have fire stations where we protect those babies. This does not make sense. We cannot stand, even though we're Californians, we resolve that we are a city of life. We are a city that will welcome any child at any time, and we will be a sanctuary for the unborn. This is a huge opportunity for local individuals to speak up against the madness, and it's a chance for us to be involved in the civic process on this issue. Yes, the Supreme Court spoken, and yes, now our governor has spoken. We do not have to agree. We do not have to be silent, and this is a chance for voices to be raised. And, and, you know, again, as you point out, where oftentimes, especially in a state like California, uh, there would be concerned about the subsequent wailing and gnashing of teeth and all of the legal challenges, and it's going to go to the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, and all this business. Because this is a resolution, I mean, it, it, it effectively makes a statement, but it's not binding in terms of the law. So if a community, and we start with local cities, if, if the majority of people in the local municipalities say, no, we don't agree with what is being peddled out of Sacramento, and we do believe in standing for life, and we're going to make a statement to that degree, there really is little, if anything, that can be done by the pro-abortion side to, uh, to try and uh, circumvent that, is there? That's exactly right. And that's why it's so important it's a resolution. This is a free speech effort. This is really a declaration. And so some people may say, well, then it's meaningless. No, my friend. This is a declaration by an elected body of your representatives. And they're saying, this is where we stand. And it puts the heat to those who want to use the civic process to kill babies. I already know in, in uh, Mission Viejo, the other town, there is a board member who is upset and one of the one of the council members has said, well, fine, she can go down and try to take the sign off of the fire station. But we are committed to be a city that's given to life. And they have a crisis pregnancy center in town, churches in town that will help. And literally right now, across the nation, there are 2 million couples that are waiting. And this is every year. There's 2 million couples that are waiting to adopt children regardless of their condition. We are a nation that takes a presumption for life. We love life. The decision by the Supreme Court years ago and the ongoing actions now that embrace unlimited abortion, it's so far against who we are. It's time that we speak up. We don't have to be obsequious as they were in Germany. We don't have to say, oh, well, we'll just put up with it. We'll just shuffle with our heads down and wear our masks. No, we, we cannot be obsequious when there's great evil, and clearly, and I'm speaking now of abortion, clearly this is a great evil that all of us now have been concerned about, but it's not enough just to have emotions. We have to be willing to step up, and this is a chance for those who are elected, and then you can hold them accountable, because all these people at city council, they all want to move up. They want to be a supervisor. They want to move up to assembly. Most of the people in Sacramento right now started on school boards, started city council. That's where they got their start. And very often Planned Parenthood, when they're on those posts, say, hey, well, we need to have a school-based clinic. Or, hey, 
this city should give some money because we want to help you know women with pregnancy problems and it's we're such a good program and Planned Parenthood is working the system for money out of these people we're simply asking people to stand up and speak out on behalf of the innocent and you're right because we're not banning an abortion this can't be struck down in court and that's hugely significant because what that does is allows us to continue and go on from town to town. And I think this is really going to start sweeping California. We have several counties now that are looking at this. And in Texas, what they had done is they made a mistake in Texas. I'll be honest with you. In Texas, they tried to regulate and say, we're not going to even allow abortion clinics. There are 14 cities in Texas that say that. But all of those cities are now in court. And they can't enforce it because of the court decisions. This is a way to bring exactly the same principle to bear on those who hold office. We must hold them accountable. And by looking at what our governor is doing, I mean, it's even worse than Texas. There's an existing law that says, please protect these babies. And the governor won't protect those babies that are born alive. There's something. Well, here's a good opportunity, as you point out, to... to to make an important statement here, and the nice thing about this is that uh, the the ability of somebody to try and and fight this or reverse it is 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 you know basically you know virtually impossible. More information available about the unborn sanctuary resolution available on the California Pro Life website at CaliforniaProLife.org. That's California Pro Life. Dot O-R-G. And again, we invite you to tune in to Life Matters every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on AM 1100 KFAX with your host, Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. All right, 6 o'clock, 6.02 actually. Let's get you caught up on some traffic right now as we head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest.